0: Open your Bibles now, please, to the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 6. I uh, asked Aaron if he would like me to keep preaching in John, and he said, don't you dare, Uh, so I won't dare. I'll skip over and uh, we'll read from the Gospel of Mark. Uh, A passage that uh, I think can be very helpful to us, as of course any passage in God's word would be, uh, is chapter six, verse 45, to the end of the chapter, verse 56. This is just an uh, an episode of Jesus with his disciples and it's uh, very clear to see, I think, uh, what's going on here, but I want us to focus on this idea of being afraid. Of being afraid. Now, watch that as we read, uh, as I read and you follow along. Verse 45 is where we begin. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This is the word of the Lord. A few of you have heard this story that I'm about to tell. It's a story that concerns a part of my family. A couple of years ago, as in the middle of the night, in fact, early in the morning when it was still dark, my son uh, heard some noise outside of his house in uh, Jackson. And he went up to the front of the house to see what was going on. A man had broken in the window in the front of the house that went into the kitchen. The kitchen was in the front of the house. By the way, they live in a house now that the kitchen's not in the front. He, he broke the window with his hand, bloodied his hand, but he had seen through the window there were some hooks on the wall where my son's wife's purse was hanging, and he grabbed the purse and pulled it out and found the keys to one of the cars in the purse. Well, keys to both cars. The garage door was such that it was open and he went inside the garage and cranked up one of the cars, started to leave. As he was backing out, my son yelled at him. Don't ask me why. He yelled at him. The driver responded by firing a bullet toward his house, fortunately missing my son. He drove off and was fairly quickly apprehended. Uh, in any case, by the time all this had happened and the gun went off, everybody in the house was trying to run to the front. <laughs> Mama was trying to keep the kids from going to the front until everything was, was clear. But the thing that <clears throat> really stood out in that encounter was the aftermath of this robbery and the close encounter with a bullet. The children were pretty upset, as you can well imagine. Of course, everybody was. But uh, in particular, my granddaughter was upset. She was about uh, nine uh, at that time. And she really had a hard time dealing with that. She, a few days later, came to our house and spent a couple of nights with us. And every little sound she heard in the night shook her up and made her go, What's that? Is somebody out there? Her fear continued after all of this was done. After, really... Everyone should have had good reason to breathe a sigh of relief that it was no worse than it was. And little children, you know, have a hard time processing things like that usually. And our granddaughter did, and bless her heart, she's much better now as time went by. And she's gotten older and and probably better able to handle it. But I say all that just to remind us that whether we're children or whether we're maturing adults, there are times when we are afraid. Are there not? Sometimes we don't want to admit it to anybody else. Sometimes we don't want to even admit it to God. And regardless of the circumstances, you may be afraid of something that might happen instead of something that did happen. You may be afraid of what's going to happen with your job. You may be afraid of what's going to happen with the health scare that you are encountering. You may be afraid of what somebody might say about you or do to you. We may be afraid of <clears throat> our country collapsing or being taken over by some enemy of, of another nation. There's no end to the things that we could be afraid of, right? So I think it's always a good thing for us to think about uh, being afraid in the scriptures. And to me, this is a, a great place to consider that. We don't need, as Christians, to be afraid. The incident here in our text tells us that Christ, our Savior, is the one who gives us the basis for not being afraid. Now let's look at this and uh, just take note here of some of the things that we can find that I think are instructive for us. And the first thing we can see here is that, uh, from verse 45, that Christ orchestrates our fearful circumstances. Christ orchestrates our fearful circumstances. Now, uh, having a bit of a music background, this made me think about orchestra, when I use that term. In an orchestra, you've got multiple instruments involved in playing the same piece of music in their own unique, each instrument in its own unique way, but it has to work in harmony and blend with all the other instruments. And you have a director of the orchestra who guides them as to who is to do what and when and all of that. And it's a beautiful thing to, to uh, watch if you're live and watching an orchestra play. Uh, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed seeing that. Well, Christ is the, the great orchestra conductor for his people. He is directing everything concerning us in our lives. Another way to put it is this is an aspect of the sovereignty of God. God is in control of your fearful circumstances and he actually orchestrates and directs and oversees everything that's happening in your life, including the things that can cause you to be afraid. Some people would say, oh no, Jesus would never want to do that. If we really take the Bible seriously in this aspect of what it teaches, we have to reckon with the fact that God uses even terrible things for good. We were just reminded in the pastoral prayer, God works all things together for good because he is in all things. If he is not Lord of all, as the saying goes, he is not Lord at all. This is what Jesus did in this situation. Consider the, the context here. In the, the last verse we read said uh, that the disciples did not understand about the loaves. And if you're reading this and not remembering the context, you're going to say, what? The loaves? What about the loaves? Well, the passage right before this was the feeding of the 5,000. God did this great miracle. He took a little bit of food and miraculously multiplied it, sort of like we saw with the the wedding in Cana that uh, we recently considered in John chapter two, where there was a limited amount of wine and Jesus saw to it that there was an unlimited amount of the best wine. Here, it has to do with food and drink bread and fish I shouldn't say drink bread and fish so God can do that but the disciples had not processed that like they needed to at this point keep remembering that that throughout Jesus's three-year ministry on earth he had this band of disciples this core group if you will And he was spending a lot of time with them, instructing them, demonstrating to them the kingdom of God and its power and its blessings. But they didn't learn everything as soon as they became disciples of Jesus. Discipleship is a lifelong process. And so Jesus is now going to show them how to deal with fearful circumstances so that they will grow in their faith. This is what he did. He orchestrated this situation. And that's why I mentioned verse 45 here, where Mark says, immediately. Mark uses the word immediately a lot in his his, uh, gospel. In fact, we read the word immediately a couple of times here in the verses we've read this morning. So immediately after the feeding of the 5,000. He made his disciples, notice that, he made his disciples get into the boat and go to the other side of the lake without him. I would suspect, it doesn't say, but I would suspect that the disciples weren't real thrilled with the fact that Jesus wasn't going with them. They wanted to stay with him. The crowds wanted all of them to stay. Because it goes on to say that Jesus dismissed the crowd, too. He separated himself from them and said, you disciples, get into the boat. Don't stay with the crowd. Get in the boat without me and start going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which they did. But they probably grumbled while they did it. That's just, that's just uh, my idea of what's behind that. So don't take that as absolutely certain. So they do that, but the idea here is then Jesus is in charge of all of what's going on here. He had a reason to dismiss the crowd. He had a reason to dismiss the disciples. He had a reason to go by himself up on the mountain to pray. This is what he does in our situations too. He's in charge of what's going on in our lives including things that cause you great fear. He knows that these situations that he's orchestrating are necessary pathways to our spiritual growth and maturity. There's a story told about two maestros, back to the orchestra theme here, two maestros who were listening to a promising young singer And she sang uh, what she was going to sing in their presence. And after it was over, one maestro said to the other uh, something about how wonderful her voice was and how beautiful she sang that piece. The other maestro looked at him and said, yes, but she will sing a lot better once her heart has been broken. That doesn't sound very... Positive, does it, uh, unless we think about it? The best musicians, I saw, I saw this uh, not too long ago, watching Yitzhak Perlman, considered the greatest violinist in our day, watching him play uh, the theme uh, from uh, Schindler's List. a a great movie not an easy movie to watch but a great movie and he played it with such passion and he was he was a Jew and he was playing from his heart and you could see it on his face while he was playing and that's what this maestro is saying to the other maestro once her heart has been broken she's young once she goes through something that breaks her heart she's going to be able to better sense and feel and, and exemplify or embody the passion behind that song that she's singing or that opera that she's in. And many times, isn't that true for us as believers? Our hearts have to be broken sometimes in order for us to better understand the fallen world we live in, the sinful nature that's embedded in our own hearts, and the glorious grace of our Redeemer who came to heal us, to grow us, to mature us, to use us as better instruments that we might be blessings to others. There's a great hymn, most of you are familiar with it. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. One of those verses says, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense. In other words, don't don't judge God on the basis of how you can understand something. It's feeble. (laughs) But trust him for his grace. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, there lies a smiling face that is a lesson that every christian has to learn and many times relearn as they go along as disciples growing disciples in their lives christ orchestrates our fearful circumstances secondly notice that christ prays for our fearful circumstances he prays for our fearful circumstances of course we see that in verse 46 And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. While the disciples sail, Jesus prays. While the disciples together are on the boat in the sea, Jesus is on land, on a mountain, talking to his heavenly Father. You might think, well, couldn't Jesus have done that in the boat? Sure, he could. But he knows that this is the best way for them to learn. Jesus, at numerous times, the Gospels tell us about various occasions when Jesus goes apart from his disciples and sometimes on a mountain will focus on prayer to his Heavenly Father. We think of his earthly ministry in terms of his teaching and his miracles, but we sometimes downplay inadvertently I think we downplay or just fail to keep in mind the emphasis on his prayer life as the son of God talking to his heavenly father and what do you think he was talking to the father about well I think there can be little doubt that he was praying for those disciples because he knew what was about to happen he knew what was going on Remember what the New Testament tells us about Jesus praying for us? He intercedes for us. In, in uh, Hebrews chapter 7, uh, as an example, verse 25, as our great high priest, Jesus says, uh, Jesus is praying, and this is what the writer says in Hebrews seven twenty-five. Consequently, he is, able, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's continuously interceding for his sheep, his disciples, if you will. And in the, the two chapters later in Hebrews, we read a similar Verse, chapter 9, verse 24, nine twenty four For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Make this real personal. Jesus is in the presence of God, having died for sinners and having risen from the dead. He's now at the right hand of God, interceding on your behalf, Christian. How often do we think about the fact that Jesus is praying for us? Do you think that he would have come into this world, suffered a, lived a life of suffering, dying on the cross uh, to absorb the wrath of God for sinners, rising from the dead, going back to the Father in heaven to forget about you? Do you think he's too busy praying for everybody else in the world, but maybe not you? We know better than that. Jesus is praying for you. If you know him, he knows you And he's calling you by name. I won't read it now, and you can look it up later, but Romans 8.34 also tells us that he ever lives to intercede for us. So it's there, repeatedly, that Christ is praying for his people. And it's interesting to see that he's the one the Bible says is praying for us. Now we know that there are other people that pray for us. But when it, comes to, when it comes to somebody else that might be entering into the picture that has a special connection with God, we sometimes think that way. Look, you have just as special a connection to the Father in heaven as anybody does because Christ provides you the same benefits and he is the one interceding for us all. And what I'm trying to get at here is we need to avoid thinking that there's some special saint that has access to God in a way that we don't. For instance, here's a prayer that doesn't really doesn't really match what the Bible teaches about this. Hail Mary, Mother of God, it goes on to say and then it says pray for us sinners many of us are familiar with the words or at least part of those words uh, that are used in the roman catholic church Uh, their belief is one of their doctrines is that mary uh, intercedes for us before the lord and we ask mary to pray to the father for us. We don't need that. As wonderful a woman as Mary was, the Bible doesn't teach that we need to get Mary to pray for us. Other Christians, yes. But most importantly, Jesus himself. He prays for our fearful circumstances. And it is, it, uh, notice that it says that in verse um, 48, and he saw that they were making headway. While he was praying, he's up on a mountain. I don't, it was several miles away at least from the best uh, I understand it from what I've uh, studied on this. Several miles away and probably be pretty difficult. It was late at night. But he saw them. Now you could say he saw them because he had the special vision and he was able to see right through the dark and, and uh, see them literally, physically. Maybe so, but even more, he saw them in that he knew what was going on. We do that sometimes when we use that word. You know, somebody explains something to you and you go, Oh, I see. What that means is I understand, I know. Maybe it was that way, but regardless, Jesus knew exactly what he's going through. Jesus knows what you're going through. He knows what's causing you to be afraid. And he prays accordingly on our behalf. Now, the disciples didn't know he was praying for them. They really didn't have to know at that point. You and I don't always remember that Jesus is praying for us when we're going through fearful times. We may even think the opposite. We may think Jesus doesn't even care about this. Jesus doesn't even know about this, so he's not praying for me. As I said that earlier, but he knows and he prays accordingly. Third thing I want you to notice, Christ provides help for our fearful circumstances. He provides help for our fearful circumstances. The rest of the passage bears that out, I think, in verses 48 through 52. He sees the situation, as we saw, and here's what the situation was. Verse 48 says they were making headway painfully, literally, I think it means that, painfully, because the wind was against them. Get the idea here, they're in a boat, they're rowing, they're trying to go this way, and the wind is blowing that way. And the harder they rowed, it seemed, the less progress they were making, because the wind was stronger than their collective ability to row in the direction they wanted to go. Now imagine doing this for hours and getting nowhere. And then it it says that at this point it was the fourth watch of the night. That means 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. They were tired. They were frustrated. And I suspect they were angry. Who knows what words were coming out of their mouths at this point? And Jesus knows that that's going on. So what happens? They look up and they see Jesus. Great. Jesus is here. But Jesus is walking on the water. If it's really Jesus, it could be a ghost, they thought. And Jesus was going to just walk right past them. And they cry out. They shriek when they see this. Jesus has to calm them down. Jesus says, Hold on here. Take heart. That means don't be discouraged. Like John 14 1, let not your heart be discouraged. Believe in God, believe in me. And then he talks about in my father's house are many mansions. Here he says, take heart. It is I. It's not just anybody, it's not a ghost, it's Jesus himself. It's the same words that that God used when uh, he appeared to Moses at the burning bush. I am. I am that I am. We get the word Jehovah from those words in the Hebrew. Jesus is saying, I am the son of God. I'm here with you. And coupling that with what he tells them to do. Do not Be afraid. That is probably what Jesus said more times than anything else that came out of his mouth. Don't be afraid. Like at the resurrection. Don't be afraid. And he says that because they were afraid, they were terrified. And once he said, Don't be afraid, it got even worse. Because verse 51 says, and he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded. I'm sure their mouths were hanging open. What the world is happening here? How did he do that? The, wind, the waves were going all over the place because the wind was so strong. Doesn't say it was a storm. That's another occasion. So here the disciples are confronted with the presence of Jesus, the explanation by Jesus. And I love the fact that he says he got into the boat with them. Jesus gets into the boat with you, too. He is involved in your life. He is with you always, not here physically. He's in heaven physically, but he's here through the Holy Spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit along with the Father, for us, to be with us. It's the Spirit of Christ. A a number of years ago, when I was still pastoring, we had Bible school, and we started singing some of the songs that were given to us by the curriculum, and we thought, okay, well, let's use these, and so we practiced them, and we started singing them the first day of Bible school, and it went over like a ton of bricks. We could tell... They're not going to get this. These songs. They're not going to sing them. So the guy that was leading the music uh, said, "Okay, just scrap that. We're going to sing this song, with Jesus in your boat, you can smile in the storm." And so we sang that. With Jesus in your boat, you can smile in the storm. I don't know if anybody knows that song or not. I didn't know it. And so we sang that, and they loved it, and we sang it all week. But there's a lot of truth there. When Jesus is with us in the boats of our lives, we have every reason to smile in the storm. We have every reason to know that God is going to be with us and he's going to take care of us. It doesn't mean everything's going to be, you know, just all roses without the thorns. It's going to be at times very testing and trying for us. It's going to stretch us beyond what we think we can do And that is because it's beyond what we think we can do. And that's when we call on the Lord, we call on Jesus to help us. And he comes, he gets into our boat, and he takes care of us. He prays to the Father because he sees the situation. Now, (laughs) I don't know that I do a lot of reading from uh, Max Lucado, But he can come up with some good ones sometimes. I've happened to come across them. And one of the things he says here from this passage is that much of our life is spent in rowing. Work, work, work. And sometimes you feel like you're not only not getting anywhere, you're going backwards. You're retreating instead of advancing. There's this plodding along and this monotony almost to the things that you have to do in your everyday lives. And he said, sometimes there's more struggle than strut, more wrestling than resting. Good wordsmith there. (laughs) And that's the way it is sometimes with us. And Jesus is there and he knows that. And he knows that we can be fearful. He knows when we're little children, he knows that we hear things that go bump in the night. And we wonder what monsters are, they wonder what monsters are under their bed. And mom or dad has to come and convince them, look, I'm going to go, I'm going to get down on the floor and I'm going to look under the bed and see if there's any monsters under the bed. No, there's not any monsters under the bed. Everything's fine. I'm here. And hopefully, the child eventually is comforted and goes to sleep. But we have to do that as adults, too, don't we? We must learn and apply what God teaches us, or we will develop what happened to the disciples. We will develop hard hearts, as the last verse tells us. They did not understand. About the lows, but their hearts were hardened. <clears throat> now look, I know that the Bible talks about hard hearts in terms of people who don't know Christ yet because they don't, they don't, they're not interested in God. They don't want God in their lives. They want to live independently of everything, including God. They've got a better way and they know what they're doing. And their hearts are impervious to anything that might challenge that. That's why if you witness to some people about Jesus, they're going to immediately reject it. Their hearts are hardened. But look, even as a Christian, there are times when our hearts get hard. Not hardened to that point, but hardened in that we don't want to hear or learn what we need to hear and learn. And so Jesus is breaking through that here. And that's why I say we need to learn and apply these things or we will develop hard hearts and be vulnerable to dangers again when we become afraid A different kind of danger to be sure All right, so let's just uh, in, in finishing this, let's, let's think about a couple of places in the Psalms That talk about the psalmist being afraid Psalm 27 1 David says the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? You see the connection? Because the Lord is who he is for us, what reason do we have of anything less than that causing us to be afraid? And it says in at uh, the end of the verse, The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? One other place in the Psalms, <clears throat> this, is, this tells us what to do, it's really simple. Psalm 56, Psalm 56, verses three and four. When I am afraid, now notice that, this is David saying this. Not if I'm afraid, I'm David. I killed Goliath. He'll never be afraid of anything. He's learned better. When I am afraid, what does he do? I will trust in you. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. And verse 4 says, <clears throat> I will trust in God, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? So when you're afraid, not if you're ever afraid again, I don't expect you to walk out of this church and say, "Ah, I'm never going to be afraid again. No, you are. You are going to be afraid again. What do you do? You turn to God in prayer. You don't hit the panic button You don't do like that congressman did at the Capitol and hit the fire alarm. You turn to God in prayer and reaffirm your trust in him, weak as your faith may be, and God will grow your faith. Down at verse 11 of that same song, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid, What can man do to me? He says it again. It's on our coins, isn't it? In God we trust. It's on our buildings. In God we trust. Well, do we when we're afraid? Should we when we're afraid? You know the answer. What fears are facing you right now? Do you know how to address them? Do you understand what your Savior not only did for you on the cross, but what He's doing for you this very moment and in the very moments in which you're afraid? He's praying for you, He's on your side, fighting for you, the captain of our salvation. Realize that your Savior knows all about those fears that you have and the circumstances that cause them. Your Savior is praying for you that you will prevail. And he's there for you to help you learn and grow in faith and in the ability to see the big picture that God is in everything. He will be glorified and you will be blessed. Keep rowing and keep trusting. Let's pray. Lord, help us to trust you more. Help us, Lord, in times of fear. And fear grips us. When it paralyzes us, And we thank you that Jesus Himself faced the ultimate fears, the fears of being condemned by your just judgment in our place. But He put His trust in you, and you granted Him victory. May we, Lord, live in the light of His victorious work on our behalf.